So about two weeks ago, Walter looked at me in the eyes, and he said, today is the last day you can ever talk about me from my summit stage. <laughs> and I looked back, back at him, and I said, nope. <laughs> and the reason I keep saying no, and I keep talking about Walter, is he says awesome stuff like this, that sometimes our worst regrets are the things we never tried. That's quotable. That's so good. And that made me think about regrets and regrets from my own life. And I have a lot of regrets from when I was younger. And I could go into a lot of those, but I won't. Um, but I will tell you about one particular area that I have regrets with. And that's the area of exercise and nutrition. You see, when you're younger, you think you can get away with doing whatever, right? I mean, at least I did. Uh, I watched Rocky III one time, and I started working out like Sylvester Stallone and thought I could look like him, which obviously that happened. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't really have a proper understanding education uh, on what it meant to be uh, smart with my nutrition or my exercise. By the time I got in high school, one of my greatest accomplishments was being able to eat a whole medium pizza by myself. And um, that doesn't translate long-term to a very healthy body. Body by dominoes is not what any <laughs> of us say. Sign me up for that. Um, but I spent my, my life kind of going in and out of the gym. You get motivated in January, and then by mid-January, you're not so motivated. <laughs> and so I tell you that to say... Fast forward to the age of 32, 13 years ago, you do the math, yes, I'm 45 years old, um, and I found myself about 40 pounds heavier than I am today, I had jacked up cholesterol, and I had very high triglycerides, and I had a doctor look at me and say, you better do something, you know, you're going to be in trouble, and so it got my attention, and I began to surround myself with people who prioritized exercise and nutrition, and I began to learn, and slowly but surely, I became more healthy. Uh, I began to put in the work and the discipline that it took to do that, and then over the years, that's only gotten more so that way to where last year, I began to have a nutrition coach for the very first time, and he helped me navigate what it meant to put the right amount of macronutrients in my body, which I really didn't know what macronutrients were, but I found out they're what you typically eat, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. And so I began to learn what I needed to put in to fuel the machine and begin to look at uh, food as fuel, not food as just pleasure, which sometimes it just needs, still needs to be pleasure. But I, I got kind of past that mindset, and I began to see, whoa, there's really good results and really good health results that come along with that. And I saw the value in it. And my only thought has been, I wish I had learned this sooner. Now, your regrets may not be the same as mine. And, and like I said earlier, I have plenty of them. Um, but you all have regrets. We all have regrets. Like maybe that special tattoo you got in a special place during spring break of 1999. I mean, none of us probably have that, but we know people. Uh, we've seen it at the, the pool this summer, right? It's like, whoa, that's regrettable. Um, 
There's also the, the special relationships that we jump into, right? The girl looks good. Guy smells good, which is a plus. And we think uh, we need to go, go, go. And the people around us say, no, no, no. And we jump into it only later to find out that the people saying no, no, no were right. But, but then there's also maybe something on a more everyday level. It's like the hurtful words we said to that person in our family or that friend. And, and it was one sentence that was like a wrecking ball into their life that now you're still experiencing the consequences of that you wish you could take back, but you just can't. And you have regrets. And regrets really are boiled down into two categories. The things I wish I had done and the things I wish I hadn't done. Now, the three things I just mentioned are things I wish I hadn't done or we wish we hadn't done. And I really don't want to talk about those today. I really want to talk about the kind of regrets Walter was talking about, or really the things that I wish I had done. Like as a kid, some of you can relate to this. As a kid, you always want to be at that next stage. When I was nine, I remember someone asking me, how old are you? And they always thought I was like six, which I didn't like. And I would say, I'm nine and three-fourths. You know, I wanted to make sure they knew I was almost 10. I'm getting there, right? I just couldn't wait to get to the next phase, the next stage, because bigger was better and then, you know, you go, of course, you go through, you, you're a teenager, you get a job, and you start making money. You're like, I'm rich. You know, I can go buy whatever I want. And then you become adult, and you maybe get married, and you have kids, and you realize, I've never been more poor in my life. <laughs> Everybody takes my money. I get mail, and I'm like, we want your money. You know, your kids, we, we, we need your money. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And then they get older, and their needs get bigger, and you're just, you're just poor. And it's really sad. And, and then, you know, some of us, we, we, we are teenagers or we were teenagers. And teenagers are special creatures, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like the, the selfies that teenager, teenagers can take. I mean, it's all the different angles to get it exactly right. Some of you are like, I do, I'm an adult and do that, right? Uh, but it's amazing uh, how self-absorbed I've seen some of the teenagers in my life be. At the same time, I've seen some that have done some great things. But for me, I was pretty self-absorbed, concerned about what other people thought about me. And some of you, maybe you can relate to that. So self-absorbed where I missed a lot around me. And I wish I could go back and do it differently, but, but I can't. And then it's like being a, a single adult and looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. And, and the whole time you're doing that, you're like Mr. or Mrs. Desperate, which when you're Mr. or Mrs. Desperate, you don't really go about finding Mr. or Mrs. Right because Mr. or Mrs. Right isn't really looking for Mr. or Mrs. Desperate. And instead of working on becoming the person you want to attract, you just kind of find the people that you really don't want to attract because you're so desperately searching and hunting instead of preparing. And some of you wish you could go back. Or it's like... Becoming a person who is a parent, and that's fun. I mean, that's an amazing experience, right? And your kids get older, and they begin to be able to do cool things like walk and talk, and it's almost like, please stop talking. Um, but they get to do other things like sports. You get to go watch them in their sports games or play in their band concerts. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And they may have special talents, and, and maybe you dedicate a lot of time, and, and it's great, but... 
it's real easy as I get older to neglect the partnership with the local church because we see it happen all the time. I was a youth pastor for 17 years, and I would watch people that would neglect the partnership with the local church because they would be on a ball field or doing something else, which, I mean, can be a lot of fun. But then the kids get to like 16, 17, and 18, and I can tell you this. An 8-year-old is a lot easier to influence and then later influence as a 16-year-old rather than starting at 16 or 17 or 18. And over the years, I've had people come to me with their teenage kids that I have no relationship with and say, fix them, please. And it's like, I don't know what I can do to help you. We'll do our very best. And sometimes it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. And there's, so there's regret in that. Or it's like becoming a grandparent or your kids have left home and they don't want to come back. You just like beg, have to beg for them to come back, but they don't want to come back because maybe the environment you created wasn't a great environment to come back to. And, and that's really sad because you wish you could go back and change it. And some of you right now, you're hearing me talk or you're watching me talk. You're thinking, this is the saddest message I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I would agree if this was the end. But here's what I love about regret. There's no day like today. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to stay stuck in your past. You don't have to stay stuck where you are right now. You can move into a better future. And one of the things that I've realized is that the people in our lives, the regrets I've talked about already are connected to people, the people in our lives help us get to where we're going next. And we weren't meant to do it alone. It's why we talk about groups all the time. And depending on the people who are in your life can determine whether your life is full of regrets or your life is more regret-free. And I tell you what, sign me up for less regrets. And to help maybe drive this home a little bit more today, we're going to look at a couple verses of Scripture that are found in a New Testament book called Hebrews. And the the person writing this letter to a group of Christians in the first century wrote some incredible words about the supremacy of Jesus, about how his forgiveness and about his love being greater than any other religious leader or religious being, person, thing, that Jesus was up here and that Jesus loves us so much that he came and he gave his life for us. And he talked about his sacrifice for us to have forgiveness. Boy, it feels great to be forgiven. And so he writes about this. And we don't even know who this person is. They're a mystery writer. There's no name attributed to the writer of Hebrews. But the early church fathers saw this book and they saw this letter and they thought, we need to include this in the Bible. And so we're going to talk about two verses that talk about the power of group. And we're going to pick it up here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where he writes, Let us, now I want to start, stop at let us. Let us means he's talking to a group. We're a group. He's talking about a we, not a me. So let us think of ways. Think of ways. So that means to contemplate. That means to push the brakes on the pace of your life, to evaluate, to consider. To consider what? Ways to motivate 
one another. Motivate. What does it mean, what does it mean to motivate? I, I was a youth sports coach for years. And one of the ways we would motivate is sometimes we'd be like, dude, you just need to run. You need to move. You know, you got some kids that just, they, they need it, and they need it straight. And then others, if you approach them like that, they'll shut down. They'll be like, I hate my coach. Sometimes you have to put their, your arm around them and be like, hey, buddy, I want to help you be the best you can be. What, what, how can I help you? Do you have a rough day at school? Let's talk about it. And then we get them back out there, and they get into action, and they give you everything they've got. And there's different ways to motivate, but we're here to motivate one another, not by ourselves. You can't motivate. You weren't meant to motivate yourself. I mean, you can look in the mirror and be like, you're good enough. You're smart enough. I mean, that's weird. You can do that. But this idea is that we're talking about a we, not a me. And so he says, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This love is like a family type of love. This is a love where you would lay your life down for somebody. He said, let us think about ways to motivate one another to love and good works. Works being things that you go, wow. Things that make you go, hmm. Things that make you say, I want that. I want that in my life. I want to be around people like that being excellent, being praiseworthy. It's pretty powerful stuff. And he continues, and he says, and let us, talking about we, not just me. Hey, we're a group. Not neglect. Now, I like this word neglect, not because I like neglecting people, but because the word carries a lot of connotation with it. It means to avoid I, when I think about avoid, I think about when you're out in public and you see somebody and you don't want to talk to them. I never do this, but you may know some people that do this, that you see someone out in public and you're like, oh, I can't get in a conversation right now. I, I've, I've got too much going on. And you say, what's the key to not talking to someone you know when you see them in public? Don't make eye contact. Just look, look down, look away. Yeah, it's awkward. And, and so he's saying, hey, let us not neglect, not avoid doing what? Our meeting together. That means getting together physically, being in physical proximity with one another. And I started thinking about this, like it's real easy in the world we live in to just make everything be online. And online is great. If you're watching, I mean no disrespect to you because online is an amazing way to connect. I mean, some of you are on vacation right now, you're able to watch online, and I love that. Some of you are sick right now, you're able to watch online, and I love that. But we get in this mentality that we'll just catch it online. And he said, no, 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 no. let's not avoid meeting together. And I started thinking about my mom and how my mom loves it when I come home. And if you have a mom, she loves it when you come home. And my mom likes to come visit too. And it would be awfully sad if I were to call my mom up today and say, hey, mom, I've been thinking about technology. And it's advanced. And this FaceTime thing, it's really taken off. Why don't we just cancel every visit in the future? Because, I, you know, I have to drive five hours to come see you. You have to drive five, five hours to come see me. That's inconvenient. Why don't we just FaceTime at Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and for the kids' birthdays? We, we don't need to see each other. 
What do you think mama would say? She'd say, what you talking about, Willis? She'd be like, no. Are you smoking crack? She, she, she probably wouldn't even entertain it. She'd be like, are you? No, we're not doing this. I'm coming to see you now. <laughs> but he said, hey, don't avoid meeting together as those people, as some people do. Some people are saying, no, nah, I'm, I'm, nah, I'm good. But encourage one another. What does it mean to encourage one another? Sometimes we think this is just a feel-good word. Sometimes it means to correct. Sometimes it means to say something like, you can do it. I mean, it means, hey, you, you got this. You've got what it takes. Or to teach. And you have something. I have something. We have something that's valuable to offer to other people. In a group. In a we, not just a me. And then he continues. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And one of the things that Jesus talked about before he left the earth is that one day he would come back for his church, for his people, for those who have put their faith in him. And I, we don't know exactly when that's going to be. I mean, some people have predicted it. And guess what? 100% have been wrong. Because we're still here. And people will still try to predict that day and be like, wrong, wrong. It's just going to happen one day. We, were not, we don't know when it's going to be. But let me tell you this. We all know that it's going to happen. And the other piece is we're going to have our day where we pass away, where the end will be there for us. And what he's writing is saying, don't neglect the fact that your time is limited. There's nothing like a funeral to remind us of that, that I have limited time to help us think about what's most important now. And when I see this writer and I see these words and I think about the idea of being in group, what I see is that there is power and proximity with one another. There is power and proximity with one another. And it makes me think about how the power is to grow me, to grow you. When you get around other people who have different backgrounds and different perspectives and, and different ways of looking at life, it helps us to be grown. It expands our perspective. It expands our horizons. We can see things like maybe we didn't see them before. And people can speak into it like maybe we haven't been spoken into before. There is power to grow you. But then there's also power to grow others. We oftentimes think, what's in it for me, me, me? But you have the power to help grow someone else with your story and with your faith. There's power to celebrate each other's successes and struggles to say, I can help you in your struggle. And Jonathan, uh, Pastor Jonathan, the last couple weeks has said something that I think is extremely powerful. It's a quote from a guy named Trevor Barton, who's a pastor at a church in Kentucky, and Pastor Jonathan has said this, hey, we're not praying for a move of God. We are the move of God. We just need to move. And what I love about this series is it's all about movement. It's all about taking a step forward. 
But the question we have to consider, we need to ponder, is what if we don't move? What if we say, nah, I'm good. I, I've been hurt in groups. Well, I can tell you, I've been hurt in groups. I have been. I've been hurt by family. I don't quit my family. I quit. You guys are mean to me. No. You might say, well, I'm uncomfortable meeting new people. Yeah, well, I'm sometimes uncomfortable going to work, and sometimes my kids are uncomfortable going to school, but we go. We, we've got to bust through it. Or, nah, I'm burnt out. Okay, let me, let me say this. Most groups, you, you're probably looking at max two hours a group meeting, and if it goes longer than that, you need to say something. Like, this is too long, right? You need to stop talking so much. You, you got these people, some's in group, shh, stop. We, we know all about your family and your life. We, we, got, we got 10 other people here. No, don't be rude. But you're, you're burnt out, but you're not burnt out on groups because it's like two hours a week max if you meet every week. And that's like 1% of your week. You're burnt out on other stuff. But what if, what, so what if we don't? What do we miss out on? Well, we miss out on the power of proximity to grow me and to grow others. We miss out on being known and knowing others. We miss out on being helped in our singleness, being helped in our marriages, being helped in our parenting. We miss out on people celebrating us when we succeed. We miss out on people helping us when we struggle. We miss out on so much community and belonging, but we don't even know it sometimes. And I think that what if is a pretty compelling reason to say, you know what, whether I've been hurt or I'm uncomfortable or I feel burned out, I'm going to say yes to groups. I'm going to give them a chance. Because if you don't hear me say anything else today, there's something powerful about this. Being known and knowing others. And that's what we want for you, to be known and know others, because we know there's power in this kind of proximity. And I thought about this, and I, there's five benefits that just jump out to me about being known and knowing others. And the first one is being known personally. It's incredible when you see someone move from just being a face in a hallway, being a face on a patio, being a face you see on your way in and way out. Let, let me say, that's, that sounds really boring to me, just walking in and out of this room or in Oak Ridge or in Jamestown every week, you know, kind of like the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial, time to make the donuts, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. You need to spice up your life because, you know, what? there's some crazy people out there that are dying to meet you. And, and I mean, you get in the group with them, and they like say crazy stuff. You're like, wow, this is not boring. This is awesome. Yeah, no, that's not really a good selling point. Um, but we want to help you move from being a face to a friend. Think about that for a second. Move from being a face to a friend. It just sounds so much better than just seeing a bunch of faces. When someone knows your name, when they call your name, they, they call your name and they, they say, hey, Tyrone, or David, or Kenneth, or Jamie, or Jenny, or Brooke. There's something powerful in that. It captures your attention when you hear your name. You're like, what? Because it means somebody knows you. Somebody noticed you. Another benefit is knowing others' preferences. My, my small group, my couple's group, 
They love coffee. We had one group meeting this past spring. They drank four pots. They're over there like, yeah, this is a great group. <laughs> Not really. But I took great joy walking around, filling up the cups. Would you like cream and sugar? I was pretending like I was a barista. But it was, it was, it was fun to just see over the course of getting to know each other that they love coffee. So much so that a guy in our group bought another pot. I mean, like, literally, we could make two pots at one time. I was like, booyah, two pots at one time. Yeah, we're not going to run out. But it's pretty cool when you know people's preferences because what it says is, I see you. We think about you beyond just this moment. You also know others present. Knowing others present. It's pretty powerful when someone knows what you're going through in your marriage, in your singleness, in your parenting, to come alongside saying, me too, you're not alone. Or how about knowing others past? How often are you trapped by the voices of your past, by the regrets of your past that haunt you today, that you wish you could push past, and you're haunted by it, but then when you begin to open up to other people and they say, me too, or they start to speak into it, you begin to realize that the voices of your past, the actions of your past, don't have to define you today. That is power in proximity. Or this, knowing others potential. You have potential. To be able to call that out on somebody is so much fun to me to look at somebody and say, no, no, I see this in you. You would be great working with kids, or you're a great dad. You're a great mom. You're a great wife. You're, you're totally okay being single right now. You are doing great at your job. You keep it up. I believe in you. Man, sometimes all we need is just a little belief from someone else to propel us to the future that we want and desire. There is power in proximity. And so I was thinking about all this and being the move of God and, and, and know, being known and knowing others. And I just want to challenge you with it, to take that next step when it comes to group, to be known and know others. What could happen? What could be? What should be? Ask a few people to share with me their stories of what it's meant to be known and know others. And so this one guy from a men's group wrote this for me, and he said, hey, the benefits that you have are relating to a group of men that have common values, and it's an opportunity to be away from your normal daily environment, your wife and kids. I have found that none of our group is at the same place in their journey. And each individual has had experiences that can be shared which help the others. I also think it's great in our group that you have varying ages. I like to hear other men's stories and younger men's stories on, and perspectives on different topics. And I'm not sure if this works in every group, but I believe it's great in ours. And not sure this will make sense, but when you're in high school or college, you always had a group of friends, guys you interacted with daily. Then life happened and your group became your family. I believe we need to have contacts outside our family group to learn how others deal with challenges. It's pretty powerful. I have a bunch more right here I want to share with you because I think they're just really powerful. And I'm going to read them off fast. I have 16 other statements here. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 
Here we go. Buckle up. Developing a sense of community and belonging. Great. The group structure also allows for more intimate dialogue about the application of God's word in our daily lives in a safe and communal environment. There are certain, there's a certain comfort in knowing that you are with like-minded people, young and old in our case, and that you can listen and talk without fear of being judged. Food is not bad either. Circle of people that I can count on from so many different areas of life. You meet people that are going through things you are or already have been through, especially in parenting. You form friendships with other people you never knew you would have a connection with, just passing them in the halls on a Sunday morning. It's an opportunity to share your passions, your struggles, and be real in a safe environment. It is a place to grow in your faith walk. Be honest with yourself and with others about where you can do better because we all can. It's an extension of the worship service to be able to discuss what happens on Sunday outside your dinner table so it doesn't just stop there. It shows our kids yet another way we fellowship and study God's word with other believers and make that a priority. Friendships and connections that extend outside the two hours we meet. An opportunity for the kids to connect with other kids their age outside of church. Sharing and learning with others in similar situations. We all spin tales from the messages of what relates to our personal struggles or triumphs, and the conversations grow from there. It is nice to be heard and air out some things I've had on my mind or listen to other people and get inspiration. And I share all those things with you because they came from people in a group. Actually, two groups. The two groups I currently get to lead. Now, that's two of many with the groups in Kernersville and Oak Ridge and Jamestown. Can you imagine how many more stories I could read up here if I took the stories from the other groups? I could be up here all day, and you'd be like, man, I want to go home. You will soon. But it would be amazing. You'd be like, yeah, okay, uncle, I'm going to join a group. And I would just tell you, you can have all this and more. And it moves from saying, nah, I'm good, to I'm going to say yes and take a step. And we want to help you live a more regret-free life, to move uh, in your mentality and to be able to have, have the mentality of, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did, versus I wish I had. I'm glad I did, versus I wish I had. Doesn't that sound so much better? I'm glad I did. I'm glad I joined that group. I'm glad I met that person. I'm glad I didn't stay alone. I'm glad I embraced the idea of we over me. And it brings me all back to where we started at the very beginning of our time. where Walter said, sometimes our worst regrets are the things we never tried. I challenge you to embrace these words as you consider your next step. Join a group. I don't think you'll regret it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for an amazing church that we can be experiencing this together at three locations this morning and and in a line. And I pray, God, that you would help the the words from the songs we sang. You're bigger than we we thought you were. Um, God, that you would help the words that you were um, able to communicate through me today that they could help be a catalyst 
to moving other people to say, I want to be known and know others, knowing there's power in proximity. God, we thank you for being with us and for us. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.